Anime is a vast and varied medium, and if you're not already familiar, it can be daunting to find something you might be interested in watching. This is a podcast where three average anime enjoyers introduce their uninitiated co-host to their favorite anime touchstones, so he can join them deep in the weeds. This week we watched Mushishi. The manga series was written and illustrated by Yuki Urushibara from 1999 to 2008. The Tankoban volumes were localized in North America from 2007 to 2010 and adapted into an anime series by Artland in 2005. A second anime series aired in 2014 and an anime film released in 2015. There was also a live action film back in 2006. It's also spawned a video game and many types of merchandise. The series follows Ginkgo, a man who dedicates himself to a life of wandering the countryside and keeping people protected from supernatural creatures called Mushi, which are an incredibly primitive form of life. Due to their ethereal nature, most humans are incapable of perceiving Mushi and are oblivious to their existence, but there are a few who possess the ability to see and interact with them. Mushishi is set in an imaginary time between the Edo and Meiji periods, featuring some 19th century technology, but with Japan still a closed country. It is an anthology series, where each episode tells a self-contained story and is not dependent on prior episodes for background. A majority of the stories do not focus on Ginkgo, but rely on him as a catalyst to move the story forward by diagnosing or curing Mushi-related illnesses and phenomena. We watched four episodes. 2, 7, 14, and 20. And to break up the usual format a little bit, we're each going to be taking point on one of the episodes. Um, but before we start, I guess, does anyone have any general things they want to say? I'll get it out of the way now. Mushi. Or yeah. for for an uh, American person, uh, Mushi just makes me think of, like, uh, potatoes. <laughs> I just I just imagine taking a cat's face in my hands and just going mushy 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 <laughs> and then being the master of mushy the mushy master if you will so here's my question I get where mushy comes from in the title where does she come from in the title wasn't the mushy she like the person who knows is that what it was? I, I I admit I watched this dub, so I'm sure I missed something. I actually did a split. Uh, half dubbed, half subbed. To see if there was any difference. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I always just assumed it was like a, a title thing, because that's like what they are. They are Mushishi. That it's like someone who deals with Mushi. Okay. I just didn't know what she stood for after Mushi, so... That's why I was a little wondering. Uh, yeah. Now I know. I think there's, uh, oh, I don't know, like solid cheese? Gaseous cheese. One thing I found interesting, and I'm not going to call him our, our he's kind of a hero, but not in the capital H way, uh, our protagonist 
because again, I'm reluctant to call him main character because he's usually only in for bits. Is um, Bob? You can attest. I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I imagine this is what it is like for people in Doctor Who who are not the Doctor or his close companions or friends. The, just the average Joe person. This this stranger wanders in, solves a problem, and is gone just as quickly. And it's an interesting way to see that perspective. You can see that. Yeah, I'm trying to think that like it's it's um I'm trying to remember. I think like you know westerns kind of have that vibe too, where you have just like this gunslinger dude who comes into mm-hmm. town, solves the problem, and leaves again. But there is a more specific one where you have a character who's like an expert in something that's affecting the common man, and the common man is just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Um, this dude comes in and has the answers, um, solves the problem, and then leaves again. <laughs> I will I will explain in my episode why I'm using the Doctor Who analogy, because it will be very poignant in that one specifically, as well as, arguably, it's brought up even more to the forefront in the last episode. But I feel like it kind of needs to be addressed, because there's a reason, because I, I agree, yeah, Gunslinger rolls into town, solves a problem, and, but, you know, it's kind of spoiler, kind of how the problem is solved is why I make the more Doctor Who comparison. I, I can definitely see where you're coming from with like a, a there are a lot of Whovian things I think that we could say about this series, which I, I mean, to that point, how, how about let's just uh, jump into the first episode and maybe that'll uh, help us uh, uh, focus on what we want to say. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Episode, we start with episode two, uh, The Light of the Eyelid. Um, and we have, um, overall, is there's a little girl who spends her days locked in a storage shed, uh, because light is super sensitive to her eyes. Um, so she, she basically lives in there with her eyes, like, covered with cloth. Um, and her family just kind of like dumped her there <laughs> to be dealt with. Yeah, um, like it, it was like a, a neighbor who had this storage shed that goes like pitch black. Which hey, how come you have a storage shed that's a mausoleum? Uh, to keep I didn't even think about that. and light out um, because some stuff you want to store in a place that's cons- a more consistent temperature. Um, and is not affected by sunlight. Um, yeah, all right, fair enough. Brown uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so she's kept in the shed, and um, uh, her name is Sui. His name is Biki. Um, is the kid who lives there, who basically spends time with her and like plays with her and stuff. Um. And his mom is concerned that he's going to catch it too. Um, but like they will like they like wash everything. He's like, "Mom, I like you know I burned the cloth. I wash it every time I come out and stuff. Like it'll be fine." But he likes spending time with her. Well, I um, I really appreciate him because like it's not to, just that he likes spending time with her, but like 
he is definitely like sympathetic to her. He's just like, Hey, she's like just a kid. It's not her fault that she has this condition. And just like, I, she deserves, you know, entertainment and friendship and all that too. So like, love this kid. Good hearted kid. Yeah. yeah. And like his mom also like intellectually realizes that it's not her fault that she's stuck like this. Um, but does kind of fear for her own family. Mm-hmm. I did. I got the impression it was maybe almost that someone had to go out there and either, again, early in the episode, I wasn't clear initially, like if he was voluntold or he truly volunteered, but as it goes on, yeah, it seems like he volunteered for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, the the parental abandonment really kind of caught me. Yeah, and we still at no point figure out who the parents are. Oh yeah, they're they're gone. Oh no, yeah, they're like I figured not. out who they were. They're deadbeats. <laughs> they are, but it, it, I'm assuming this is one shared town. Yeah, I think at one point the mom mentions it was like the the head family, so it's like like the mayor of the region or whatever. Um, they just didn't want to deal with her. Um, but yeah, so at one point while Sui and Biki are playing, um, she tells him that there's Mushi in her eyeballs, um, but they live behind her second eyelid. And like, she tries to teach him how to close his second eyelid so he can also see the river of light that she sees. Mm, yeah, the... The neck-tending membrane of the human that yeah. we all have. <laughs> uh, but she says it's like when you close your eyes and you can see darkness, but you also start seeing like you know little speckles of light and and stuff happening there. And she goes, "Okay, that now close your second eyelid to that." It's like um, it's like when you stand up, and then while you're standing, you stand up again. <laughs> um, Actually, but- I wanted to ask. How many here closed their eyes when she said that? Uh huh. And then, like, wait. Uh, I was gonna wait till the end to admit that. <laughs> it's been a good five uh, minutes. I'm not gonna lie. I didn't. I didn't go that far, but I'm like, okay, close my eyes because I, I when I saw the effect they did for just close your eyes, like, yeah. hold on, is that really what I see? I thought I saw I'm like, oh, it's not that, but I get what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I I felt weirdly seen. Uh, from this story just because like as somebody who has had something akin to insomnia since childhood I've spent many a night staying up and looking at the inside of my eyelids and looking like oh let's look at the patterns and let's look at the after images and ooh can I close my eyes again how do I make it darker how do I make that go away and to your point having recently had uh, an eye operation back in October Part of me was like, oh man, anything about the eyes, like, oh man, I can kind of relate to any like stress or fear you're feeling. So yeah, I just kind of, and I'm part of the eye operation for like the better part of a day. I had to keep my eyes closed. So like, yep, I remember what that was like. Okay, but did anyone else think about the opening to Men in Black when Will Smith is trying to describe how the suspect blinked a second set of eyelids and nobody understands what he means. Yo, I didn't think about that at all because I can't <laughs> tell you the last time I saw that movie. It's a good movie. 
Oh, this is a good movie. I just and it had an animated series. I bet that would count. I need to see who like worked on that because I bet it was TMS. That counts as animation. That counts as as anime. Um, but yeah, so she also mentions that, like, she sees this river of light when she does that. Um, and she tries to get close to it, but there's always a man on the other side who tells her not to get near it. A oh, one eye. <laughs> a man with one eye, yeah. Just, it's like, oh, that's weird. Um, just a dude hanging out by the secondary island river, you know, normal, <laughs> no questions. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna lie. You talk about flashbacks to certain films. As soon as I heard one eye, I'm like, ah, yes, the one eye, one armed, one legged man. <laughs> um, so later in the episode, of course, um, Peaky does eventually catch whatever she has. And like, he's looks at the candle and it's like too bright for him. Um, so he's stuck in his room trying to avoid the light. So in the morning when his mom comes to get him, she finds um, him asleep and this man sitting there like, no, he's fine. <laughs> well, wasn't it first that he was like face down on the mat and that's when she realized it? Because I remember she did like this. Whole oh yeah, because then she takes uh, Sui's yeah. suit out and is like, uh, "Beaky caught it," and like, "I'm mad at you for that, but I know mm-hmm. it's not your fault." But it also just sucks. Well, <laughs> you are now the object of my blame. Yeah. Well, no, because she says like an even worse thing. She's like, "Listen, you know, I, I listen to Beaky, and you know, he says like he's right. It's not your fault. It's not like you chose to do this." It's my fault for letting my family get close to you. Close the door. Yeah. Like, oh, you're the worst. Yeah, I'm like, mm, okay. So everyone's parents in this village just outright suck. <laughs> they do. Um, but yeah, when she comes back from that, she finds him and Ginkgo there. Being like, right. oh, it's okay, I gave him some medicine, he should be fine. <laughs> uh, and he's like, hey, yeah, uh, I came about because I heard this rumor about a girl living in your, your storehouse. <laughs> The, the real these are normal well like okay to, to kind of translate to the american side a little bit i think at all at one point you know as a child you hear you know the joke or the cruel the cruel aphorism of like oh you're the kid that your parents kept in the basement or in the attic it's like yeah i hear you got a kid locked in your attic and it's like actually you're right this time <laughs> this is a world of mushi so maybe this is normal uh, sort of. They don't usually, like, interact with humans too much, and when they do, it's a very, like, they, it gets interpreted in a very, like, supernatural kind of way. Um, like, there are stories about weird things that happen, but it's a very much, like, fairy tale, folk tale vibes, uh, to this whole series, which I really like. And I, I actually also really appreciate the way that, like, in that same kind of fairy tale way, like this whole first episode is so obviously like, oh, this is an era when people didn't understand, you know, anything about medicine, trying to explain why somebody might, you know, gain uh, photosensitivity and mm-hmm. basically go blind and all of that. It's just like, oh, yeah, no, I totally see how, uh, you know, this is both like of the fairy tale that explains that which is still unexplainable. Yeah, and speaking just of the locking them away, in, in that kind of era where medicine is nowhere near advanced as it was now, I mean, 
the first analog I originally thought of was like, yeah, they would do this to someone with a rare disease. I mean, leprosy came to mind. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, if someone's sick and we don't understand it, quarantine. Yeah, the, and the the burning of the bandages and washing the hands. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, you don't understand that you're trying to do a medicine, but you are trying to do a medicine here. Good good job. Yeah, you're, you're doing one part of the medicine. We just got to get that rest in there. Mm-hmm. You do still think it's demon, so we'll work on that, but good job mm-hmm. starting medicine. And balancing those good humors. Mm. Oh, wait. Does that mean Ginkgo is sort of a good humor man? There you go. You got exactly where I was going with that. I'm going to go lie down. It's me too. Uh, so uh, Ginkgo explains to Biki about the, the Mushi um, and how they breed in darkness. Uh, so keeping her in the storehouse is actually making it worse. Um, but since his his eye thing like just started, it was easier to deal with because it was just like one. Um, but mm-hmm. it was very early stage one. Yeah. <laughs> um. So he waits for night to go check out uh Sui's situation. Um. And finds out it's uh pretty bad. Their situation's got pretty bad. Um, <laughs> the darkness has eaten her eyeballs. <laughs> it wasn't the lack of eyeballs that got me. I'm gonna spoil a bit. the next part. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like. In fact, I will just put, tell you right now to to borrow from uh, a certain group. Vomit, 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 vomit. <laughs> um. Uh. But yeah. So he waits for nightfall and uses the moon. Um. To draw out the mushi from her eyeballs so you get this like girl with voids for eyes and this like silver goo that just like floods out of her eyeballs or her eye holes rather I'm going to make I'm going to apologize in advance my note specifically was when the moon hit uh, or excuse me when the mushi Ate Sui's eyes like a big pizza pie. That's the mushi. <laughs> that was my note. Uh, um. So Ginkgo manages to find the like one centipede-like worm, tapeworm-like thing in the midst of all this, um, and then tells her to close her eyes and. Um, the goop kind of like settles and goes away, and uh, so he's standing there holding the worm, and then he crushes it. And that does he crush it or throw it on the ground? It, he holds it; it kind of just collapses. Yeah, he like crushes it in his hand. I, um, I think it's like because he has pulled it out of all of the eye water. It yeah. like basically oh, yeah. he just holds it there long enough that it dehydrates and it turns crumbles. into ash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's killed it, but unfortunately her eyeballs are gone. Um, so he helps her by, oh yeah, earlier when Beaky woke up and he saw Ginkgo because his hair hangs down over one eye, mm-hmm. he was like, oh, one-eyed man. But then like he turned his head enough that he could see he had two eyes. Um, but at this point, Ginkgo pulls out one of his eyes and it turns out it's a glass eye. Um, and he injects it with some of the, slime stuff. Yeah, like, I thought it was, like, another, the mushi itself, but, like, I guess it was trapped in the glass eye. 
But yeah, it was yeah, something. he just like he, he injects it into the the glass eye, and then he gives it to her, and it now works as an eyeball. Speaking um. from a lack of medical perspective, can <laughs> just simply inject into a needle into a glass eye? Is that how that? Works? I don't know. He probably has a special one. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's really what it boils down to. It's like, listen. Japanese fairy tale, deal with it. <laughs> but it's just like that was the first thing. Like, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> so yeah, we get a happy ending. Beaky's fine. Sui can now be out in the light and live a semi-normal life. Um, and everything's good and happy. Yay! And she has like, I... the most colorful. Um, it's a yukata, right? Yeah. yeah. But like the mm-hmm. most colorful one to just be like, oh, she is going to enjoy her colorful life now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not gonna lie, the the not being able to see thing. Oh, that's like one of my top three fears, or like things that worry me in life. It's like don't lose the vision. So like, oh, it, it achieved like maximum skin crawl from me. But I will say too, yo. Before I know we're kind of touching on it early, the opening and endings of this are delightfully chill. My... Yeah, we'll get to the music. I guess. Yeah, I just just for our first episode, it's just a thing I noticed. I'm like, these are really nice. <laughs> See, I, as soon as the episode started, my note is "Sleepy Time" T ass opening song. Mm-hmm. I I do have more to say about them, but just like these are really nice. These are just okay. Uh, so yeah, um, I basically, I'm the one who put this one on the list, um. I really like the show because it's a su- it is a super like mellow, chill, just little stories you can take in bite size. You can watch any episode; they, they're not in any particular order. They don't have like a through line, so you're not missing anything out by watching something from later if you want to. Um, and yeah, it's just really cool, beautiful imagery of. Japanese countryside mm-hmm. and people living their lives bleeding black water from their eyes <laughs> yeah. yeah I was going to say every every time I wipe sleep from my eyes now I'm just going to think of that for the next like five or six days <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I, I I chose to start with this episode instead of the first one because I, I felt like his like explanation of the Mushi and stuff was a better like introduction to the world if that makes sense I think it also worked really well it just like in the the lead up to the Mushi because you know like I, like I was saying earlier like a lot of this episode it could just be like hey this is going to end with this dude shows up and he does just know some medicine like that's how he heals uh, Biki it's like he's like yeah I just gave him some medicine because it, it's early enough it's just like oh okay he's just doing doctor stuff and then there's the sudden turnaround of like alright let's go out under the moon and then you get the eye water and the crushing worms and <laughs> some yeah like he's kind of like he's basically like a like a natural doctor but specifically for Mushi but also, like, it's kind of like a monster fighting thing because you all you have to know how to like get rid of them, um, and stuff. Uh, he's a cool. It's character. like old world knowledge. Yeah. He's like if Blackjack was a The Witcher. Yeah. So you ready for my, my one of my analyses? I'm re- I would say would fit right now for this, especially considering this is a fantasy. 
You remember how in Megas Bride, Elias's kind of side hustle was just making mon- medicine for the locals? Holistic yes. medicine? This is what I imagine, like, all the downtime between the story arcs is just for him and uh, Chise is just, you know, going around making medicine, maybe dealing with, you know, the Fey issues going on in a very kind of, like, real, real uh, kind of passive, non-aggressive manner because that's kind of, it kind of had that vibe for me on that. I I actually totally got the Magus Bride flashback as well, but to to go back to to one of my notes from that episode, I was just like, oh right, like the whole thing, like as much as you can say, oh Alias doesn't spend a lot of time around human, like he does have the church over there asking him to go on errands a bunch, and it is kind of like right. this. It's just like like no, you have to go ask him and drag him out to come fix this stuff. True. Whereas Ginko is over here just being like, yeah, I was bored. I wanted to see some. I wanted to see something messed up, and I heard you had a girl in a shed. Oh, I almost. It's, it's not about girls. I almost okay, excuse the- me. This is Chise's part of their medicine job to go out, talk to the people, and probably I imagine part of her future is just like, yeah, I'm just wandering around and there's these problems I can solve now. Okay, cool. Have a good day. Yeah, that's one thing I like about Ginkgo is his life is basically just kind of like following rumors and wandering around the countryside and just helping people out when he crosses their paths. There's a um, oh, what is that show with the talking motorcycle? Heat Vision and Jack. So with the talking motorcycle. I'm just gonna go with Heat Vision and Jack, but like, yeah, it, it, the show where it's like, um, it, it's kind of like a travel log show. Like, it it, it is a, the there's a lot of shows like of this genre of like our quote unquote main character is just wandering through the land and it's just hey, what do they? What interesting story do they run into each week? Kino's journey. Yes, but I'm sticking with his heat vision and Jack. Okay. No, I'm just like, that's the only one with like a a person and a motorcycle that are traveling specifically in anime that I could think of. Yeah. Or what's, what's the other one where there's like, after the apocalypse, a robot runs a cafe? Isn't there also a traveling bike in that? Yeah. That's one of those, uh, Thanks to Beej, I'm aware of that. I yeah. know what you're talking about. I can't. I actually knew about that one before Beej mentioned it. I was like, oh, it's I know that one. Something about shopping, I, I seem to recall, was the title. Yeah. Magical Shopping Arcade Avenue Bashi. It's not that. Yeah. No, it's not that one. But it could uh, be. Okay, now you're just saying Obama words, and I'm going to so... assume they're real. Uh, but, but anyway, memories of anime <laughs> yeah. aside. Yokohama Shopping Log. There it is. See, I thought that at first, but I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, but yeah, are we good to move into our next episode here? Uh, was it this episode where he did the explanation of the mushy tree basically down his arm? No. Or was that the later one? Okay. Yeah, I don't think we any I, of these. Yeah, uh, that's not in any of these. Arm. Oh, yeah, okay. Spoiler! <laughs> I wa- I did watch like several episodes to like pick. No, oh, yeah. I believe me, I get you. All right. Well, uh, secret spoiler information aside, <laughs> let's move into episode seven: raindrops and rainbows. And Bob, you're going to lead the charge on this one. I am. Uh, this one, I actually, I think of the four. This one was my favorite. We were introduced to a rainstorm, some people sitting underneath it, and the 
oh, quote-unquote, main character of this particular story, Koro, um, sees uh, his fellow friend there talking about the rain, and they see a rainbow, and that's when you realize that Koro really has a thing for rainbows. Uh, he explains how his father always chased rainbows all the time. Because his father swore that he touched a rainbow one time, which we see in a flashback that he actually does find the source of a rainbow. And he's telling his friend this, and his friend's like, whatever, I'm going to move on. Uh, pan over, and oh, there's Ginkgo. And it's at that point I realize, oh, Ginkgo's in every episode. I didn't realize that he was going to be shared plot device. The boy is here. Uh, and Ginkgo's like, oh... That sounds like one of those Mushi, and I giggle again because Mushi's just one of those words. He's like, I'll go with you and we're going to find this one. Uh, he explains that uh, with this particular Mushi, uh doesn't have to appear around storms, but it tries to mimic that, and its colors are reversed. Uh, Carl's like, uh, sure, whatever, you can come with me. And Ginko's like, I will! Actually, okay. <laughs> Can can we can we go back for a second? Just because, like, yeah. like I feel like half of this episode is just Koro sort of telling the backstory of his dad and oh, what he's doing out here, and like it's genuinely really sad. Yeah, uh, because yeah. his dad became obsessed. He developed an obsessive desire to always find rainbows, where he would just wander off almost like a drunken person, and eventually be found in another area. He may wander back. At a certain point, it would appear that he became incapacitated to the point where he no longer drank water. Uh, of note, he could always sense when rain was coming. Well, I think it was more he wouldn't drink water unless it was rainwater, is the impression I was getting from it. I think he just got old and sick and couldn't, like, sit up to drink anymore. Like, I, I mean, sure, that too. His drinking a lot of water it was like an effect of having touched the rainbow, comma, tasted the rainbow. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to get in here first to say it. Um, but yeah, but there's just like the, the it takes so long to explain the story because they're building it up. Because like the very first thing is Ginko just being like, hey, I see you're carrying a big jar. What you doing with that jar? And my man's out here is just like, I'm going like, to catch a rainbow. I'm going to catch my it. Pokeball. But then, like, even that more... way, I can show it to my dad. Yeah. Well, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna catch a rainbow, and I'm gonna take it home. And like, the first thing I'm thinking is like, is he's like, I, I need to know what my father saw out there. So my first thought was just like, is this dude, is this dude gonna try to interrogate a rainbow? What is going on? <laughs> so it's, it's just like it's it it is a slow roll of what the actual like events were. It's just like what. My mans? Are you good? Uh, yeah, I'm like... <laughs> spoiler, I don't think him or his dad are good. I, I, I just remember, it was like, oh, you, you, you know, you do understand that rainbows aren't a tangible thing, right? Well, you know. And then we get this backstory on his dad, I'm like, not a rainbow, got it. <laughs> he just made Which friends Coral with that rainbow. Gives a lot of this... <laughs> gives a lot of this exposition while talking to uh, Ginkgo, while they're searching for the rainbow. And it's nice that they didn't get it on the first try. 
there'd be a rainbow, yeah. and Ginkgo would be like, no, that's not one, the colors aren't reversed. And they just would camp in random places, and Koro would just constantly explain, you know, my dad had these issues, we didn't have Doogie Hauser MD child in our village, that was in the other village over with the lady with the eyes. I, that part's not in it, but boy, it would be nice if there was a child that was a miracle healer in this town. I really like their chemistry when they're hanging out because, like, in, in the last episode, you know, we had Ginko hanging out and we had Bushi just there sort of, like, being the, like, whoa, 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 ghost! And, like, in a very, like, you know the buddy comedy of like one who knows what's going on, one who is just like seeing everything for the first time. I really like that between mm -hmm. these two, like Koro's out here and just like, yeah, I've been chasing rainbows for like five years now. I have a sense of like how wet, like I can navigate by weather at this point. It's just like, Oh, here's a dude. Like th there is a, a, a feeling of like peers between them. Like, like they are definitely working together and they each have, like competencies to bring to this this search together and i feel like you don't see that like especially not in anime but like you don't see that in a lot of shows at all like so many shows are just like oh we need the the goofus in the show to be a audience stand-in so we have a reason to explain everything but these two are just like hanging out and like explaining things to each other in a very even-handed way and i just i really appreciated that dynamic I also, to tag onto that, one of the things that we kind of glossed over was not only is Koro after this, but this is one that uh, Ginko hasn't seen before. He's like, I've always wanted to see one of these. And so it's nice to have the knowledgeable character also say, like, yeah, I'm aware of this, but boy, is it more academic than actual practical. Yeah, he's like, I'll Andrew, spend the Andrew. rest of the summer hanging out with you trying to catch a rainbow. <laughs> Real 70s era. I through my notes. I think this is also the part which leads me to believe more why Koro is looking for the rainbow. Uh, him and his dad and his brothers were all bridge builders. Mm -hmm. And their bridges tended to fall apart when it flooded. Mm-hmm. His brothers kept on trying to make a great bridge, and Koro himself was part of the bridge-building crew until he hurt his hand. Yeah, I think so he said that they ligaments. explained believable? They had a torn ligament? Yeah. He couldn't, uh, you know, be as great as he could. He's like, instead, I'm going to do this for my dad. I don't know if he thought that bringing a rainbow back to his dad would somehow bring honor to the village. Uh, yeah, like, part of it but... is that everyone thinks his dad is crazy, and if he brings it back, he'd be like, no, look, like, this actually is a thing. He's not making it. Mm -hmm. So, also, I, I think it's right around here where we get his sort of... It's, I don't... He's not telling this to Ginkgo, but it, we got to see his flashback where, like, the scene where like his dad is on his deathbed and he's like, well, there's nothing left for me, but to like sit here and, and, you know, uh, tend to my dad. And the dad has this like moment of lucidity. It's just like, Hey, I, when you were born, I named you rainbow. Because... By the way, he's, he named his kid rainbow. Let's move on from there. Um, that's just a level of his obsession, but he's just like, I wanted to name you after something that's precious to me, which is, you know, that's a nice thought. 
but then he's also like but also like my obsession with rainbow has obviously had a negative impact on you and like he offers the kid a new name and uh-huh. like like a that's a hell of a move and that is like that this episode like had good emotional hits on me i don't know what was going on yeah like because he's like not only that name you rainbow Boy, did all the other kids and probably adults tease you for it. And so I'm trying to make up for this thing I did as a result of my obsession. And yeah, I'm like, oh, man. But, like, did anyone else get the read that, like, giving the kid a new name to use was also the dad kind of giving permission or maybe even suggesting yes. that the kid run away and, and basically I, start I a know. new life? <laughs> I don't know about Runaway, but Brian, yeah, it's definitely kind of cut ties with that part um, to kind of have like an attempt at a clean or fresh start and to not be tied into this rainbow obsession, yeah. Yeah, which like, that's, that was just such like a, a, it was not obtuse in its delivery of like all of the the implications of that moment, but there was a lot going on in in that one Mm. short scene. Yeah, there are many reasons that one kind of resonated for me, and it's just like, oh, yeah, that, the father trying to just like, here, you are free of this, or can be free of this, it was like, his attempt at his final gift was beautiful in its own way. Yeah, let me let me make things up to you by cutting you free of me. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Good. The following morning, I had rained the night before believe or it was going to rain because they had to find an area that actually was going to rain. Cora wakes up and he looks up in the sky and there's a rainbow and he actually recognizes that the color is inverted. So he takes off letting Ginkgo know, hey uh, it's that thing you're looking for, the Mushi. The uh, so they go running off to it. I'm sorry? Oh, I was just throwing the name out there, the Coda. They go running after it. Uh, Coro got there first, and he's so excited because his father was telling the truth. He can finally bring it home to his father. And uh, putting myself in his spot, I would probably do the same thing, thinking it really is beautiful. It's just sparkling. I really appreciate the way that they do the art for uh, glowing things. It really does look attractive. I'd want to touch it, too. Oro reaches out, he goes in, and everything is white, and it's, you know, beautiful, but he shouldn't be there, which is what Ginkgo recognizes, and Ginkgo, being somehow immune, uh, can reach in there and pull Koro out. And he's like, you know, with this particular Mushi, you don't want to be in there because it could kill you. Well, yeah, they also identify it after pulling him out. It's like, this is not what I thought it was. It's a different kind of Mushi. Specifically, it is a kind of mushi called a nagare mono, which means flowing things. Mm-hmm. And it's a type of mushi when that's created when kooki, which is the like the life force that mushi are made of, um, combines with natural phenomena. Like well, that's right, because I started giggling, thinking, ah, yes, the volcano. No, it's just a mushi. You'll be fine. The tornado? Nope. Mushi. And that would be horrible. Like, is that, because it's still a real rainbow, even if it's not a rainbow, I think. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I, I really like that they draw the distinction, you know, even if they don't do much more with it than just like, oh, that's an element of this story moving on. And like, that's fine. But like the distinction between like there is like things with wills that can be sort of like malevolent or, you know, sort of animalistic in nature, like the the eye worms were gross. I said it out loud. Uh, but this is something that is just like, hey, this is kind of like accidental life. This is something that counts as life. It is a but thing. Yeah, but it's it's like it's not necessarily set, like it's almost like the plant life version of ghosts, where like if ghosts are animals, this is the plant of ghosts. You know, honestly, I was yeah, it's just think it's not evil. It just is. I was kind of hearkening back even to my Native American ancestry. It's like this is the natural world. Some things are not as easily identifiable as wolf, bear. It is a thing, and it has a nature, and sometimes it's friendly, sometimes it doesn't care, and sometimes you really want to go the other direction. And I appreciate that. And part of the reason I appreciate Japanese culture is, like, ah, that that recognition of the natural world. Seeing the rainbow and knowing that his father was not crazy, Koro feels satisfied and is fine to return to the village. I don't really get that Ginko stayed with him too long. He just goes along. But he does find out later um, that this river that kept tearing apart bridges uh, somehow got a bridge that could survive all of the strength of the water that was behind it. Mm-hmm. They created a swing nice bridge, which is a thing that exists and is very good for places like that that get floodwaters. Yeah, yeah I, that's the end of the story. I vaguely remember those kind of bridges from a drafting and design class I had in high school. But I was like, is, is this an actual particularly real bridge? I was, like, I was kind of curious about that. Uh, like, I mean, it's it's a specific kind of bridge. I don't think it's like a specific one in Japan that they're referencing right. or anything. Okay, yeah, like, type of bridge real, I was wondering the, the specific location. So yeah, I, I figured it's like... Honestly, could be 50-50 at this point. <laughs> but I was just... I figured if anyone would know, it would have been you. Yeah, I really like this episode just because there's a lot of emotion in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know why, but, like, that little coda on the story of being like, oh, yeah, and I heard that there's this bridge now that it can withstand the river because it, you know, he designed something that can flow with it instead of trying to fight it. And for some reason, that, like brought me to the edge of tears and I'm like it's a bridge why is this happening damn you show you did something here <laughs> it's literally a bridge over troubled water uh-huh I I I mean I thought it was either if that or he was going to be something like oh I have learned from the rainbow I'm going to go build a rainbow bridge like I for a minute I thought that was where it was going to end up although I did. Hmm? oh no go ahead at at the uh like after Ginko's done giving his you know uh, uh, breakfast club ending to the story he we see like the uh, uh you know one of these flipped rainbows just sort of like stretching across the sky and then it like flattens out and turns into like a ribbon and i'm like oh it's a road it's a rainbow road this is the backstory was, to mario kart i was actually thinking ah rainbow <laughs> dragon that's just where my mind was. It's it's flowing like a, a serpent into the sky, therefore rainbow dragon. 
yo, they should make a rainbow road track that's also a dragon. Yes. Well, the other thing I liked uh, when he was being pulled, like, when Coral was in the rainbow, pulled out of the rainbow, and talking to Ginkgo after the fact, was saying, like, there's something about me that was taken or no longer here. And he doesn't necessarily feel it was like a bad thing. So I, I got that impression. It's like he is, you know, all of his burdens related to the rainbow and his father were just gone. And I, I like that little emotional touchstone. Yeah. When he said that, I was actually trying to decide, like, is he talking about like, now that he knows the truth and he has met this rainbow, like, is the, like, the burden of the wondering of his life been lifted? Or was it a more direct, like, you know, he has, you know, exchanged with this rainbow, like, they've traded pieces of, of like, their life force or something? Because, like, that's, that's kind of how I read it, because it was just like, oh, no, like, a piece of me is gone and it has been, like, given to this rainbow, but that's how he sort of, like... In exchange, you know, it goes a little unsaid, but in exchange, he got this understanding of what it means to, like, be one of these flowing entities. And that's why he comes back and he makes the best bridge you ever did see. Mm. I definitely took it more like the emotional and metaphysical, not actually physical, but I could see that. And that would still be kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think it works in a lot of ways. And I think that's one of the things that, yeah, like, that that's part of why this episode works really well on emotional levels because like even though they are telling a story that does work sort of on its face there are so many things that you could map this to on a a medical metaphysical uh thematic level and like you can there are so many things that you can it's very easily lends to tailoring it to something you know that that resonates with you oh yeah absolutely uh, any other thoughts on this episode? Uh, not for me. Great. Well, right before we move on to the next episode, it's time to take a very quick break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> We're back from break, uh, and I'll be taking over now for episode three, which is of our watch, which is episode 14 of the series, Inside the Cage. Uh, this episode starts, we see a man inside a bamboo forest, and quickly in short order, Ginkgo comes in, and in short order, the two interact, and we learn uh, the man in the forest has been there for three years. Uh, that he came there and met a woman and her daughter and for whatever reason at this point couldn't leave, but the mother passed away and he married the daughter. He had been a child at the time. So they grew up together, so forth, and, you know, that's where we are now. Uh, Ginkgo spends some time traveling through this bamboo forest with the gentleman whose name is uh, Kisuke telling him, like, yeah, you're not going to be getting out. Uh, I, I've tried. A lot of people have tried. No one gets out. 
Ginkgo gets out real quick. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I was thinking the whole episode is going to be like him just trying to get out. Like, no, no, we, we cut to the chase on that one. He's out. Yeah. As, um, as soon as he leaves the guy behind. Yeah. It, it, I don't even think we were five minutes in the episode. <laughs> um, but when he gets out, he makes it to this nearby village where we learned Kisuke is from or had been from. And they tell of a story of a man who is trapped in the forest by a monster. And then we look, we get, uh, as I like to t- type it up in my notes, white bamboo lore, where there was a white bamboo a tree in the middle of the stock, or is it actually called just a tree? I'm always confused on that. Uh, I mean, is it, at some point it's a bamboo shoot, but is it okay, still shoot. a shoot once it grows up? Or is that just yeah. when it's like a bud? Shoots are just the small ones, I think. Okay. All right, then I have no idea. So hey, oh, I'm going to say bamboo. The life cycle of a bamboo. All right, so, I'm learning. Say, for argument's sake, I'm going to call it a bamboo tree until we get definitive definition. Uh, but the, in the center of this forest is a white bamboo tree, and yeah, pretty much there are, I believe, from Mercury, four others out there in the forest, and there's a story of a man who married a woman and she kind of got a little close emotionally as well as physical proximity to the white bamboo tree in the center. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's pregnant, has a baby, which is a little bamboo pot. Okay. Can we, all right. Okay. Go on. First of all, is it just me, or does the white bamboo got a thick ass booty? It do. No, it do. It, it's it's got a very un very bowed shape, bowed bowed shape. It's a pear bo- shape. Bottom. Yeah, it got a pear shape. It's wearing the apple bottom jeans, I guess. I don't know. It, th- this bamboo is one of uh, Queen's uh, fat bottom girls. Mm-hmm. It's thick bamboo. But, like, um, my two notes in order were, damn, that white bamboo got a thick booty. Next next note, that white bamboo fucks. <laughs> and because that's just how the story goes. And I'm like, all right. Okay. All the, right. the only real response I have to that is yes. <laughs> In the most literal sense, which yeah, I don't want to think about what that was like coming out. I just don't want to know. Mm, yeah, I know. That was one of the thoughts. Uh... So bamboo are technically a type of grass. Right. Now you say that, I remember that. Um. So like one bamboo stalk. Uh, is called a, a culm is the name of like a singular piece. I don't know. I guess a stalk or a stem also works. I mean, if it's a type of grass and a bamboo blade sounds badass. <laughs> no, I want a bamboo blade. But that being said, um, so th- this bamboo blade. <laughs> Ooh, man, this, the implications of everything we've discussed so far take a whole nother turn. Um, so anyway, the, the myth of this woman who had the bamboo baby, and, and you know, you, you easily quickly infer it is the guy's wife, uh, 
is Kisuke's wife, who we now know is by the name of Setsu. Uh, and then they all kind of, uh, the wife and the daughter absconded to the forest after, if I remember correctly, the father abandoned them. And we learn through other backstory that they had, it seemed like some amount of people had tried to kind of get along with them to a point living in the forest, but then they just kind of all retreated because bamboo baby. Um, so at that point we get gang, uh, Ginkgo. I keep trying to call him Genki. We get Ginkgo going back in the forest, trying to get a little more information on just the living situation and like why, Kisuke and his daughter and Setsu can't really leave the forest. Well, at one point, we see uh, Setsu milking the tree for water. You don't have to call it that. Well, I, they couldn't, I couldn't think of another word, and then I realized as soon as I said like, this is going completely off the rails. I would I say do. tapping the tree. I'm, that bamboo okay. fucks. Which is more, <laughs> it's more accurate, but also has other connotations, and that yeah. amuses me. No, no other way I say this is not gonna happen. She is, but like somehow... that's, what, that's what you do with bamboo is you just okay, kind of you cut it. it in the water because it keeps water in the center. But she wasn't cutting it. It, it was more that it was just kind of coming out on its own, of its own volition. Maybe she was pressing on it. The animation wasn't too clear for me in that regards of what was actually happening to cause this water to come out. Um, because it didn't look like anything was actually done to this. Um, but Ginkgo, you know, sees her do this, uh, asks her about it and even asks for the water and she says, no, you can't have this. Not in any kind of menacing way, but just no, you can't have this. Um, and, after she leaves, Ginko's like, you know, I, I respect your decisions. I'm going to now take a knife to the tree and gets water from it that way and tests the theory. He doesn't drink it, but he walks around the forest trying to get back out, and all of a sudden he cannot leave. Much like the other residents of the forest. Yeah, like they just kind of, like you try and walk out and you just kind of end up back where you start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Kind of got that magical portal to nowhere effect or to restart. It's like you, you reach the boundary, but you're starting back here again. Um, so eventually he's figured it out and he tells Kisuke, it's like, at some point she had to have given you water. And, and Kisuke confirms this when they were children that she had done this. And it didn't appear to be malevolent in any manner. Uh, but because of that, he could not leave the forest because he had also been drinking that water since he had been there. And there was this lovely moment of, I love when animated water is done fairly well. And I thought this was nice and well done. He pours two bowls full of water next to the central white bamboo. One is completely still. He says, yeah, normal water doesn't do anything. But now, conveniently, when I say, look at this other water, it starts doing the Jurassic Park ripple effect. <laughs> and it says, this is, my theory is, 
since all bamboo is connected underground and they all share nutrients together, this Mushi is tapped into the bamboo. And while it's taking from them, it's also giving back. And so it is all one organism. In the background, Setsu is listening in on this. And at one point, and this is where I can't remember the order of events clearly, so please help me out if you remember better than I do. I believe it is Setsu then approaches the tree uh, while Ginko is there and says, yeah, I heard everything. He's like, yes, I'm aware. And she's, she's, oh no, she went there to cut it down and he followed her. That's what it was. Setsu went there to yeah, cut it down. She goes out and on her own in the middle of the night. Yeah, she couldn't cut it down. That's what it was. And Gingo's like, yeah, it's kind of like the body trying to disobey the brain. It's not going to happen Un- until she do. <laughs> and then she just do it. She, what if she and just she got it, did it though? And she got it right in the thickness. Ugh. Yeah, I know. You don't want to get into thickness. <laughs> well, and so she chops, she chops it down enough. And then I've never seen a tree crawl away before, but this sure did. Oh, I hated it. That was the worst uh-huh. thing. I was the worst. Oh, yeah. I, just, I totally had flashbacks to the thing. I'm like, Ugh, flesh tree. Um, because especially because it's just like it falls like a normal tree, and then uh-huh. like you see some of the like piece, like the the limbs, the segments, yeah, just like mm-hmm. like start to reach, and I'm like, is it about to like like roll over or something? And then no, it just kind of like crawls away, and it's just like it snaps, and I recognize it as centipede, and I was like, that's the worst. I did not want to recognize it as centipede, but it's a okay, yeah. good, it's gone, but good. Yeah, I'm like, th- this was probably, besides the eye stuff, like, the most jarring thing for me to make my skin crawl. But that aside, so at that point, uh, Kisuke and the child try to leave the forest just to see what will happen. They go to the village, and his family in the village, and as well as the rest of the village, say, um, no, you don't exist to us. We can't have emotional ties and then lose you. Uh, to the forest again. Also, there's weird, freaky plant baby shit going on, and we don't want none of yeah, that. Yeah, you, you know, inva- invasion of the body snatchers pod people kind of things are going on. We don't want that here in our town. <laughs> and so Kisuke and the child go back to the forest, and that they live there with Setsu, and it seems happy. And then we get a Ginkgo who just says, well... I left, and then I came back six months later to see what happened. And we find out all the other white bamboo in the forest had gone the way of the dinosaur. It had just gone, extinct. And Kisuke is still there, but his wife and his child died without the Mushi being there. And... It was, that was honestly just genuinely heartbreaking to me. It's like, oh, you knew it was going to happen. And because Ginko, to go back and tread ground I missed, Ginko told uh, Kisuke, like, I don't know what would happen if someone tried to damage these these white bamboo. I've got ideas, and it's probably not good. We get the full reveal of, yeah, this it's the worst case scenario. So at that point... Ginko and Kisuke more or less part ways. And as 
Kisuke is just kind of running through the forest, you hear, or he sees a white bamboo off in the distance. Because the implication of time has passed. A lot more time has passed. And he sees a white bamboo off in the distance, and as he keeps moving through the forest, he hears the cries of children. And then you get more of those, like, bamboo baby pod things just there. And we just cut to black? <laughs> Which was really interesting. <laughs> a really interesting choice to end it on. Yeah, so, no. Yeah. It- Specifically, the pods are where he buried his wife and child. Yes, excuse me. Yes, they, they were there, so maybe they coming back. Baby maybe wife. Baby wife. Ba- this is bad, by the way. Baby wife. Do, 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 do. Oh. Sounds like a very interesting episode. Ugh. Yeah, no, this is, yeah, like, that, that part of the end, especially, like, woof. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead with, like, thoughts on this one and say, like, this, as well as everything we've seen to this point, kind of has like a Doctor Who vibe of the sense of you have this person from outside of the local area who comes in with greater knowledge than anyone else has on matters at hand, although he just needs to kind of be educated on them to a degree, and can and a greater experience with you know the supernatural, and says, ah, here's the thing, I've kind of figured out more or less what's going on here, and maybe we shouldn't do the thing, and in this case... Someone does the thing that shouldn't be done, and then negative consequences happen, and, and then this outsider eventually just leaves, saying, well, I tried. Goodbye. And it's it's just really interesting, because he's also trying to handle all of these, to this point, uh, that we've seen, very peacefully. He's not going in aggressive in any instance. Yeah, he's not going in as an exterminator. He's very his philosophy is specifically very much like these are part of nature. Mm-hmm. Like they're just doing their thing. Like sometimes that thing happens to interact with humans in a kind of bad way, so I'll like like we'll fix it when that happens, but like they're just a part of nature. Yeah, he he is definitely the zoological observer, the cryptozoological observer, arguably, in this instance. And I know pre-recording, I mentioned to date just about every one of us here, he's kind of like the Jack Hanna of this world. <laughs> he's just like I'm. I'm here to sh- educate and as well as learn about these these uh, f- mystical beings, and then continue on. It's. That's the thing that really struck me with this one, too, and of the episodes we watched, like, you know, back to the first episode, like, he's just showing up and giving medicine and clearly has, like, understandings in, in like, a much more technical sense than anybody else. But, like, I like that in this episode when we're watching him, like, just watching his process of puzzling something out here it's it's this is not an episode of him walking in with prior knowledge that like he is doing experiments he is he we see his little map that he's drawing to triangulate exactly which of the four white bamboo stalks is the one that's like the 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 main one like i i really like it and it would be interesting to see like we get into this a little bit next episode so I'll, i'll save some of it but just like he approaches we just get such a sense that he has such a more scientific approach that is almost, you know, unbefitting of the fairy tale nature of what is he is being scientific about. 
Yeah. I would even say of the era to that degree. Oh, yeah, especially of everyone around him. Like, like this is the age where fairy tales come from, in in a sense. But he is out here doing science within these fairy tales, and like working out. Like in by the end of every episode, he's basically right. Um, or and and like even um, you know, when she goes to cut the thing down, like or as he's explaining, like cutting it down might be a thing, like. He even will go so far as to say, "It's like, hey, I don't even know what will actually happen when we do this. I only recognize it as an option. And that is such like a, a – he's not full of himself. Right. He's not passing himself off as an expert. He he would probably arguably be called an expert by those out without the knowledge. Yeah. But he is definitely still the academic learning, the field academic. He is that style of scientist where the only thing I know for sure is that there are many things that I do not know. Yeah, I, I really I will, appreciate that about the character. I will say this sounds like a really good episode. Uh, so I'll say something so. and take with it as you will. Uh, I misread. Okay, I, I was about we to say. Episode 11. Oh, no. Well, then. This sounds like a very nice episode. The episode I watched was very good as well. Okay. It involved another Mushishi. Uh-huh. So, uh, oh, Bob. Yeah, which one's episode 11? Okay, hold up. Uh, let's just say that there's a another Mushishi who lives in a mountain that no one seems to be able to get to except for his apprentice. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I was wondering why you were being so quiet. Because I was watching this episode through the eyes of our audience. Oh, my. Yeah. Great. Love it. Yeah. I mean, the one takeaway, too, is, you know, don't don't get frisky with trees you don't know. White bamboo. I mean, specifically those, but, you know, who knows what other trees are out there trying to, you know, propagate well, that, the species. That willow be looking popping. <laughs> I can make it quit weeping. Beware them thick trees. Oh my god. But yeah, that's, that, like I said, that is, that is my synopsis of episode 14, teacher. Yeah, that, that's, that's the episode. I mean, that, those are my thoughts on it. I, I, I like that, especially the difference between, I'd say, this and the previous two episodes that the majority of us watched, um, <laughs> is that, the others mostly had like get out of jail free cards in the sense of there was there was no real kind of lasting negative repercussion without that could not be addressed. One can argue this one is also that way because bride baby and baby baby uh-huh. um, are they sisters now or I, I don't and this thing I don't want to get into that taxonomy. Oh, oh that's they were all they're clones of each other. They're all the same plant. <laughs> okay, body snatchers got it. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of ways to go. Oh with that. yeah, this, yeah, but this one has like definitely a, a direct negative effect of addressing the mushishi. Mm-hmm. The mushi. Sorry, Bob got me. Um, and <laughs> I, I just, I, I found that very interesting because it's like, okay, we we now have the okay, there there can be negative consequences. And then there's definitely an uns, undetermined, or indeterminate, excuse me, uh, outcome to be dealt with, with new baby clones. Um, but that's, I guess, a problem for future, uh, Kisuke. 
to deal with as well as the village. I mean, I don't think they're going to be antagonistic, but like, boy, that's a thing to really come to terms with. We do get a glimpse of them in another episode. I'll say that much. Interesting. Okay, I wondered. I wasn't going to count on him, but that's interesting to know. God, I hope he's not treating her like his wife. Uh, but okay, I that leaves us with one episode, which I guess I'll be taking the helm for. Now, do I mean like the ship of a boat, or do I mean like a helmet? Ah, the Enterprise. That's the ship of a Enterprise boat. Enterprise helmet. Yeah, the, the, uh, the our ship. That's not a boat. The okay, uh, it's not a boat. It's a ship. Uh, episode twenty: A Sea of Writings. Um, so. Boy, where do you go? This this is, hey, dog, I hear you like stories, so we put stories in your stories. Um, this episode opens up with uh, Ginkgo arriving at this house, which is helmed. I'll just keep using that. Helmed by an old lady. It is basically like a cabin built on top of a grand archive with all of the like stories and techniques. And basically like it is the library of Mushishi of Mushi. Mushishi, uh, Al- a library of Alexandria. Yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. I don't uh-huh. know. Um, and so like, she kind of welcomes him in and he's like, yeah, I'm back. Can I read today? She's like, yes. If you don't smoke in here, it's like, of course, like, okay, but give me your smokes. Um, and so then he, like, takes out a scroll. He's reached, like, the new generation of reading. So he's been busy down here reading when he's not chasing rainbows. And, like, it goes into... So I'm pretty sure we hear the narration is picked up by the old woman who is writing the forward to basically say this is... This is the story of this yeah. girl who is the scribe that the rest of the story is going to be about. May, may I? May I? Okay. This is the story of a girl. Oh. oh. We already dealt with the crying one. This is a story of, like, three girls so far. Uh, two. It's the story okay. of a history of girls. Um. Okay, so once we dive Inception-like two or three layers deep. This is actually the story of a girl named Tanyu. If we start from when she is born um, and a little backstory to her family is that once upon a time there was, okay, there used to be Mushi and animals and it was fine. And then sometimes animal would die and then the Mushi would die. And then one day there was born a Mushi who was like, Okay, but what if I made everything die? Uh, was it that it was born, or I thought there was a calamity, and then the Fire Nation attacked? You know what? I didn't play Tears of the Kingdom, so fair. <laughs> calamity, Mushi, uh, and the four horses, horsemen. That's the word. <laughs> no, the just the horses. Shirt. Yeah, no, the, the horse just carrying swords. Uh, it has to do with thumbs. How's it gonna? And basically, uh, in order to deal with this Mushi that was a threat to all life, uh, does that make it a god level threat? Calling back? 
the uh basically they pull uh Naruto and this they seal the Mushi inside of a person, inside of a lady, but that lady happens to be pregnant at the time, and so basically her bloodline now is everyone has it trapped inside of them almost most of the some every couple of generations uh someone is born and they have the sign of having the mushi sealed inside of them which is um late stage mr deeds disease which is just (laughs) she's got a dead like coal black foot up to like the hip and that's that's tanyu it's like oh we 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 come back to her birth and she's like oh she's got the black leg this this one's gonna be a scribe it's like you know it's kind of obvious Uh specifically that that first one that contained the mushi her entire body was black so now we've gone down several generations and less and less of the body is black. we're getting better um better i just i just like that it's like the kid comes out and it's like oh this one's got a black leg this is gonna be a scribe and to me that reads very much like oh uh this eight-year-old has asthma he's not going to be a basketball player you know it it feels like and i wasn't it's one of those chicken or egg situations like it's like "Mm, okay got the leg and is a scribe all right got it it's whichever way uh so yes uh basically we then get the again we're still being told the story but now the narration basically switches to uh Tanyu's perspective and she's basically writing the story about her uh growing up with this destiny to be a scribe eventually the same granny old woman who is herself a mushi master every time i say that it feels like a spin off in like a Pokemon or Digimon kind of way. I need to be the Mushi Master. He's a Mushi. To be fair, we did try to contain a rainbow in a, a relatively round object. That's true. Um that's the Pokeball for Snorlaxes. Uh for, mm-hmm. for Snorlax's dad. Thank you. Uh you're welcome. What? I'm hmm. okay, moving on. She's basically saying like, you know, uh the old woman is the mushi master for her family and she basically raised her being like okay because you have this demon inside of you the way you kill this sealed demon is you transcribe stories of how to sort of deal with other mushi i don't know why that works but that's simply how it works um so yes like like you were saying like the reason why she only has the leg when the original one was had a, a full uh, coal blackened body was because they've, you know, generations have been transcribing and there's only this much of the demon left inside, something like that. Uh, and so, you know, the granny is explaining this to her and now she is recording it in a scroll that Ginkgo is reading just to bring us back to reality for a hot second. Just you know, come off for air. And then the story basically continues, like, she is spending all of her years uh, listening to stories from Granny and recording these, and, you know, it makes her leg hurt because recording these stories is killing this demon, and you just live with it. It's just like, oh, why can't I be a normal girl? And it's like, have you looked? 
And she's like, yeah, all right. I do want to kill evil Mushi that lives in my bloodline. All right, let's go. And she goes whole hog on it. And when Granny's out of story, they invite other Mushi masters to come in and start uh, telling uh, her their stories of how to deal with Mushi. And then she's like, hmm, every single story these other guys have about dealing with Mushi is about how to exterminate Mushi. And that makes her upset because, I don't know, she's a child and I, I don't because she's a girl, so she doesn't want to kill everything. I don't know. They don't go into it. I mean, I don't necessarily always want to hear stories about how something was killed. You know, sometimes using one's brain is better than violence. That's also true. Uh, the, I, the, uh, Equilibrium is uh, also a good movie. They cut Tay Diggs' face off. This is, face off was also a good movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, damn it! You made me. You made me break. Okay. Uh, and so she's kind of sick. Uh, it's like she's still doing it. She's still recording everything because that's just what you do. Uh, until the day when, um, uh, a Mushi master shows up and wants to trade, uh, telling his story to be recorded for the, the sort of privilege to go down and read everything else in the archive. And she's like, Oh, I'm tired of hearing stories about, you know, killing Mushi. And he's like, all right, well, I guess if you don't want to hear about how these like Mushi and moles kind of live in a, you know, natural harmony and I don't have to tell him. She's like, all right, hold up. Let me get my pen. Um, and that Mushi master's name was Ginkgo Balopa. And at, at this point, I just imagine that, you know, three layers up, he's reading this scroll to himself in this dark candlelit basement. He just points at the scroll and goes, that's me. Uh, because that's I my, did that. <laughs> like, cause like that double check my work, but that is not, he is reading a book that includes when he showed up and met the author of the book. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he started, he's been working his way through the archives of like the previous uh-huh. uh, generations of her yeah. family. Yeah, and I guess he's up to like the present day or whatever. Yeah, because when he arrived, she's like, he's like, yeah, I read all the old ones. Uh-huh. Give me the new stuff. Give me that that hot off the presses and, scroll. And now he knows the rest of the story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. Now the story is okay. Wait. So now the story is that in the story, he is in the basement talking to this girl, you know, and reading stories. So now he is reading stories twice. This is a very, uh, he's, he's sort of a, is an Ouroboros, a kind of mushy, not a dress, but now I have to wonder. Uh, until the day when basically, so the, the books, the, the scrolls, the everything, they are like this archive of knowledge. They are also like a piece of the binding spell. So I guess it's like as she's been writing it down and the, the sealed Mushi has been like leaving her body, it is being trapped in the, in the writing. So like he's down there reading one day and bookworm mushi begin hatching because you gotta you gotta store it in a a air in a climate controlled place you can let no moisture into a a place like that we worked in an archive building it's a serious business the mushi equivalent to silverfish exactly uh and 
this turns into all of the words start leaking out of all of the scrolls and they are escaping like sentence written sentences are skittering away. It's I actually think this was a really cool like visual effect, especially the one shot where like it's just Ginkgo looking very kind of befuddled at the camera and a sentence pours out of a book and bounces off his shoulder like dripping water during a rainstorm. It's a it's a nice effect. Um, it was really good. <clears throat> But so he goes to Granny and is like, hey, Granny, the words are escaping. And then Granny goes to Tanyu and is like, hey, granddaughter, the words are escaping. And she's just like, all right, I'm coming. Uh, may, may I? Sure. <clears throat> the words are leaping right off the page. Oh, that's true. It's um, it's because she, she, her brush is actually two brushes and it's one has red ink and one has blue ink. So when you put the glasses on and it's a whole thing. Um, <clears throat> Amazing. So the words are escaping the basement and they are like all plastic. They're now running and scattering all over the walls of the room that the basement is connected to. And even Ginkgo's like, Hey, this seems like a problem. And Tanyu is like, nah, it's cool. This is my sticky wall room. And I guess she's basically created a room where all of the walls are coated in like flypaper tar. And yeah. all the words get stuck there. All the, the sentences get stuck there. And she's like, all right, let's fix this. And she, like, grabs some chopsticks, walks over to the wall, and just starts picking them off the wall and slapping them back onto pages. Like, she's, like, she's like do it, like, putting masking tape back on these scrolls and, like, putting the words back on the page. Again, a really cool effect, but it's just, like, and she's just, like, like, all right, this one is chapter one of book one. This one's chapter two of book one. And, like, it's pulling them off in order and throwing them to Granny, who is slapping them back on the pages. And it's just, like, I guess this happens a lot. They have a system for retrapping the words when the words escape. I... I loved the word flypaper uh-huh. there, and I loved too that it's almost like <sighs> all the cats got out of the pen. Now we gotta herd the cats back. Uh-huh. The word Get is in there. just like it's like when Granny comes up and and her response is very much like, "All right, I'll go get the broom." It's just like oh, like we're gonna start <laughs> smacking the the ceiling to get the raccoons out, you know. Um, and then that's that's kind of it, like. Ginkgo just sort of watches them do this and it's like, all right, cool. And okay. I, f- I forget exactly the order, but he's like, and then this is how the girl surrounded by words lives her life. The end. And then it fades to black and then it fades back up. And it's Ginkgo like has just finished telling this story of Tanyu dealing with the words to Tanyu and now it's like, it's like, okay, uh, time for me to record this story that you just told me, sorrying you and me that I was there for. So, okay, fine. And she starts like, it, she's, it, I mean, I, the logic works out. I don't know if it's sane, but it works out. And she like starts recording the story in a very cool way. Like they don't, mm-hmm. they do a good job of not super letting on that this is what happens this whole time, but like, she is just putting her finger to the page and letting like the words sort of 
cover her body. Really impressive, like, um, 3D rendering, uh, shaders. Like this, this would make like a great 360 uh, video game effect. But she's just like heard- dragging her finger along the page and printing the the words of the story onto it. Like she's basically like a, a one woman thermal printer at this point. It's very cool. I, I've heard of touch memory. <laughs> this is extreme, uh-huh. but I also love it. Like, of course, this is what scribe magic is. They're not writing it down. They're literally putting it from their mind, the memory to the page. Yeah, she's oh. using the the evil mushi within her, the blackness as the ink. Yeah, I love that. Like, oh, that is a touch I did not get until like I stopped and thought about it. Yeah, Bob. Oh no, I genuinely like the way it looked. Yeah, it's it's, it's super cool. Um, mm-hmm. and then we have Ginkgo again, sort of becoming narration and being like, and now this is the story of how she recorded the story about when her and I met. The end. And then we go to credits. But that also means that the original framing device of this is just another one of his visits to the archive didn't actually get finished. Like, I d- if this was a whole, which, okay, so this is, by the way, is a thing um, that it's in my notes. I almost forgot about uh, when the words are all over the the walls and are just kind of like stuck there. And she begins the process of like reorganizing them and putting them in order. Um it's spaghetti books, but it's very much like in programming when you have spaghetti code. And the, the, basically what she is doing here is very much what it's like to be a programmer. I can say from experience. I, it's just like, I believe that this is like, all right, we, this all is technically stuff, but this is the worst way to organize it. All right, let's get to it. Put on a pot of coffee. It's going to be that kind of night. Like it's exactly what it is. It's, it's spaghetti books. Um, But in that way, if you look at this story, as nested stories i think we missed i think we lost some some curly braces at the end and it didn't properly close but that's where the credits roll so brute force cracked a desktop this episode i guess is what i'm saying well we also did have at the end um they're sitting out and not too far from the house and uh tanyo made a deal with ginkgo that like if she can get rid of the curse like the mushi from her body before, you know, she passes, that Ginkgo would take her wandering with him. And he's like, oh, I might be dead. I might be dead by then. So, no, you're difficult to kill. It's like, yeah, that, yeah, that, that's going to stick. That's never. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no potential problems with that being just because I'm difficult doesn't mean impervious to death. Um, but I, I did like that too, kind of giving her something to work towards beyond just that. It's, it's not just, I'm going to get better. It's, ah, I've got something to look forward to specifically. Yeah, it it's a it's a nice moment between them like and again like that and and like in the the rainbow episode like for as much as uh Genki? No. Ginko. As much as Ginko is very scientific in in how he approaches everything with Mushi, we also see him being just like a very just like normal guy. He's just like a guy, you know. Um He is just a guy that you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's that was this episode. It was uh, a journey of stories. Thoughts. Those were the stories of a girl. Those I were... personally found this to be. Oh my goodness! I found this to be a very uh, neutral, positive story. 
Like, we didn't get a happy ending per se, but we got a hopeful ending, and I really like that. Yeah, that's like, a... You can see how the ending is coming. That was something I noticed. It... How about I, we just turn this into, like, final thoughts on the show now, and, and we just sort of okay. start talking about everything. But, like, that is something I noticed about all of these episodes, is, like, in other shows that are, like, fairy tale uh, based stories like this, I feel like, you know, since fairy tales were, like, morality tales that are just like, hey, don't go play out in the woods, like, a lot of them end with with, you know bad ends for the characters but like the 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 scribe in in the last one like she's you know she's going through it but she's still going she's doing well she has this hope the the girl with the eyes like it's a prosthetic but she does have like working vision by the end she's going back she's going to be able to live like an okay life uh the dude finds a rainbow and it's just like hey i'm gonna go i i'm so mad that like with the rainbow arc of his life behind him they don't reveal what his the new name his dad gave him was as like a uh of like hey from now on call me such and such because this that my life is a new now um and like the the darkest ending is the one where the guy is stuck in the lost woods from zelda and then his wife and kid die but then also they are reborn but now he has to take care of two babies as a single father uh that <laughs> I don't know if I count that as a good end. Maybe hopeful again, but I think it's the worst ending of, of the ones that we see here. There's a part of me that imagines him holding the two clone babies and just looking at one and saying, you did this to me. <laughs> oh, imagine if he but just overall, like... it's very good. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I thought this was a very kind of... Oh, I keep saying kind of... This was a very... Positive-oriented show, we get a lot of, in media in general, when it comes to, like, trying to depict fae or mystical beings uh, of of the natural world in something, in some setting, as, like, oh, well, you gotta watch out because it's dangerous and there are heavy consequences and typically bad. Like, trying to, trying to be Grimm's fairy tales, almost. And then we get this, and it's like, no, no, they're just... Kind of they're like a dog or a cat or a shuffle cat or a bear. And they just do a thing. Some Most of the time they just want to be left alone to do their thing. Other times, sometimes they're maybe a little hostile and aggressive. But there's ways to turn this into a positive. This can be handled in a very nice manner. Well, a non-violent manner. And that was nice. I like that. Yes. I like this show. What? I think that's why she picked it. <laughs> I am both shocked and awed. I I don't really have much more to say than that. I just really like the show, and I'm I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, I was. I, I'm I'm looking forward personally to getting back to this. This is definitely one I will rewatch, but it's going to be one of those like I've got a quiet night, and I just want to watch something chill and mellow. This is this is my like just vibes sh- show to watch now. Yeah, this is also like I said, like a good bite sized one. Like you can just do an episode, mm-hmm. and it's like a complete thing in itself. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is just like I love hanging out with Ginkgo, and the structure is is really good. They did a really good job of like telling good self contained stories. Um. 
But again, I'm just not like a fantasy guy. And I realize that what I want is I want this exact same show, but instead of, you know, the third act reveal being what kind of mushy it is, every time it's just another like ghost in the machine. I want the cyberpunk version of this show, right? Which it, it's basically exactly the same, but just like it's it's nano machines instead of mushy like that for some for some reason i'm I'm sitting here thinking about it i'm just like that's exactly what i want because like in every other way this show is great it's just specifically you know my tastes are just like mm, i want the chocolate one though and then i was thinking that might just be the standalone episodes of standalone complex so bob oh i personally uh end up leading into what the thoughts are um as far as the shows goes, uh, they're for rewatchability for me. Would I continue watching this? Yes, but not in a normal way. For me, this is because it's standalone shows. This is one where it's like, what do I want to watch in between? I'll watch this because I can watch an episode and be satisfied. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. This is not a binge show by any means. This is a show where you can appreciate over time. Yeah. It's a nice book you can pick up and pick up later and be like, okay. Yeah, I was going to say... By all means, it's it's great. It just came to me. This show is the equivalent to just, like, a warm cup of tea during a rainy day. I can just have one and be satisfied. It is a really good thing. The art is great. Characters are lovely. But the episode I did watch uh, is about if a Mushi is... Or Mushishi may be misguided. Won't spoil it too much, but it was another good episode. It was pick it up, put it down. Great. Um, I think that means it's time to put this on our lists. So, how do we feel about this opening theme? Uh, I will let you guys go first. Uh, I will go next. Well, I know Nick kind of gave us a perspective on his thoughts, and I. I, it's, I I appreciate, as I said earlier, this um, being very mellow. But I'm gonna be honest too. I had to skip it after the first episode because as soon as it started to play, I would get very tired every time. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna just lay down, and take a nap. This is cool." And I think that's it fits thematically with the show in the way of tone being gentle and mellow. But boy, is, does that not help me want to keep engaged with the show because I just want to lay down and take a nap. Uh, for the audience's sake, you may actually be familiar with this song already. It's uh, the Sore Feet song by Ali Care. And I'm assuming you enjoy it, Joe? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as the theme song, I like it. Like, it's not really a song that I listen like would listen to for music's sake, but it definitely fits the vibe of the show i i don't know like i i watched this show today before recording i have already completely forgotten this song and like when i try to think of it all i'm hearing is like one of those tracks that you hear over uh like a facebook video compilation of Uh acts that is just what I hear. And like, I, I don't, I don't mean this as like a dig, but for me, it is just so like, it's, 
it does kind of fit the vibes of the show, but in a way that is in like, it's just not memorable to me. Like I also started skipping it after the first time of listening to it through. Cause I'm just like, this is, it's not enough. This song is fine, but it's not enough to chew on for. And, yeah. And like scrolling through to skip it. Like it goes on for kind of a while. Yeah. I was, uh, Hulu didn't give me an option to skip. So I had to constantly keep looking at the time. It was, it was at least a minute and a half. Yeah. I think it was like, like a, a minute 10 or something. Yeah. 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 And again, kind of like Nick, I'm not taking a dig at it. It's just when you put to chew on, like, yeah, it's it's not enough for me to start. If we're going to use the context of a meal, then to say chewing, yeah, this is this is not how you want to start that because you want to keep me engaged. And this, like I said, it's, it's too passive. And yet, to your point as well about being forgettable, I couldn't tell you a single lyric from it now. But me, I, I mean, no, that would be to Nick. Yeah. It had lyrics. Yeah, and that's it. Uh, I know. What, I know it had lyrics. And it caught me off the guard when it was in English. I'm like, hold on, what? Uh, and that's, that's the okay. I was wondering about that, but it's that it had lyrics. They were in English, but the only I don't even think I would recognize this if I as being the theme to this show, unless I was watching this show. And again, that's not. Yeah, like I said, it's not a dig. It's just one of those. I this kind of just makes me think of something. You know, you want an easy listening station. You put it on. This is what you're going to hear. I, I, well, I will say the first time I heard it, it was uh, I was like, oh, it's weird '70s soft rock, or you know what I mean. That's what my mind went to. Was like you're listening to what your parents listen to on the radio. Not all parents, but. You know, it's just that Bob Denver or something like that. The platonic parent, yeah. And then the second episode came, and I started humming. And by the third episode, it was, I would walk 10,000 miles. And I started singing along with it. But just to be <laughs> the anti-theme of everyone, I genuinely liked it. Sure. <laughs> I sang along with it by the fourth episode. I'm glad you like it. I'm not saying I didn't like it. It just didn't do enough to stand out for me. Yeah, oh, it's no, on our understand. It's in our road trip uh rotation, so like I know all the lyrics to it. So Oh man, I couldn't drive with that on. I'm afraid I'd fall asleep behind the wheel. Just because it's I so get that. gentle. This is so the opposite of every single song on our list. That's it true. really is. That's very true. Like I was thinking of our list like, man, this this is memorable it's on a our negative list. song. Because it's such a divergence from everything else we've had so far. Uh, except for... Um, go ahead. What was the... I, I guess Ancient Maguses, the because that was the one with, like, the the choir intro? Like, it's it's not quite like that, but just in terms of, like, it's more folksy, like, a, in a very different way. Like, the, like kind of like, yeah, like, like parent rock, uh, oh, like, okay. folk ahead. rock. Rather than well, full choir or something, but Megas probably definitely had like more of a Latin tint to it with some of the instruments, which again different than almost everything else we've got on here. And I'll, I'll agree with you there. It's like they were both very different. Wait, am, okay, but am, wait, am I thinking of that or what was the theme song to Monster? Monster was didn't have lyrics; it just had noise. Okay. All right. I I don't even. 
remember if I'm remembering correctly, but like, but yeah. That being said, I would put it at, this is according to Bob, I would it put is? it at five. Really? Okay. With five families. Wow. Wow. My family in Carol and Tuesday. Between. Wow. Okay. Just it somehow got stuck in my head. It turned into an earworm that I couldn't get rid of, and the fact that I can sing along with it. Sure. Which I couldn't do with 99% of the other songs. The only ones I really could sing along with are Big O. <clears throat> I think that's it. Yo, I get it, and totally valid. I just never would have guessed it would have been that high for you. Normally, I like something with a beat, something that's fast, something that's going to keep me awake. And I agree, this song is going to put you to sleep. And if it's not your flavor, that's definitely what it's going to do. But for me, it was so mellow, and I agree that it fits the theme of the show. So it gets me in a mellow mindset Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, I'm going to be watching a show where there's not too much action. It's very relaxing. Correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but far from what we've seen or I've heard uh, there's not any action usually at the start of the episode yeah no all of the episodes are like this this kind of builds the mindset of what you need to go in true true and to be fair I don't I think I to, to this song's credit if you put anything with any more beat or tempo or emphasis of any kind to really upstep it, it would be too jarring for the show. And I don't know anything about anything as far as that episode's concerned, but for the boys, is White Bamboo Wife going to be an android waifu runner-up? No. (laughs) I mean, okay, hang on. If no, because she's not like she's she's a human. She just happens to have been hybrid being born in a bamboo shoot, sort of a plant cyborg. <laughs> oh, we've already de- decided that androids and cyborgs are triads. That's true. Yeah, it is more of a triad situation or a mandrake kind of thing. Yeah, listen, I'm just wondering. You know, if she gets a little dehydrated and you put your hand on her shoulder or something or you hold hands with her, loot, uh, do you walk away with splinters? No. That's not how bamboo works. <laughs> but she's not just bamboo. But the human parts that become a splinter? Where are we going sure. with this? I mean, bones. I got a splinter fractured. of your skin. Bones fracture and shitter, yeah. So nails can do weird things, so I mean. I don't want a piece of that's never had dry. Hey, did this show have horses? No, I can't think of one. Not that we saw. There might be horses in other episodes, but not these. Is a mushy not a kind of horse? I I mean, I'm sure there are mushy horses. No, they are not. Hold on, can you ride the rainbow dragon? No. No one has tried. We don't know. Yeah, Bob, can you ride the mountain? Uh, No, unfortunately. Okay. Then no, Uh, there were no horses. 
There is another episode that I watched that I almost put on the list uh, that involves bridges as well. Um, you can ride a bridge. There's a bridge made out of Mushi that they walk across, but that's not really like riding Mushi exactly. To be fair, you're correct. You ride over a bridge. You don't ride the bridge itself. Mm-hmm. Unless it floats away in the river. That one's a real good spooky episode, too. Ugh. Uh, I don't think there are any uh, trains, planes, or automobiles that count as a uh, pussyfoot. No flying pussyfoots. What about the rainbow dragon? I was gonna say, does the rainbow count as a flying pussyfoot? No, you no, don't. You don't, you don't you ride, ride it. it. You don't know. It does well, have. Some you couldn't ride the crash satellite. Oh, that's you true. could ride the right. You could you ride could the crash satellite. satellite. You know, I'm, I I will deem the flying rainbow dragon as a flying pussyfoot, and yeah, we'll put it at two. Yeah, right, right below flying pussyfoot, yeah. above the goat train car. It's a flying pussy rainbow. Nope. Uh huh. No wait. Okay. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, that only leaves one more uh, piece of work. I, if I can say one thing about all of us here, is that I think we're a real piece of work. Uh, brackets uh, positive. You're not wrong. Hey, what are we... Uh, I'm excited about the, the next one. The next one is also one that I put on the list. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so... The sandwich, so, right? Right. The last show left in our baggage tier, which I put the tagline as, living well is the best revenge, but what if also revenge in space? Uh, so next time we'll be watching Gankutsuo, which is the Count of Monte Cristo in space. Oh, so excited. Sounds interesting. I can't what, wait. Sandwich. I was saying, <laughs> what kind of jelly do we get with this one? Ooh, hopefully raspberry. The the only jelly will be that experienced by the people who don't get to watch along with us. Oh, I would have also accepted <laughs> one of our enemies. Well, you you would have to jelly that up a little bit before it's a jelly. Usually, it's more of like a drink. It's the it coagulates pretty quickly. Yeah, I was gonna say. Jello jiggler made out of pure blood. I don't think that's how it works. Anyway, uh, thank you everyone for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time uh, on the Count of Monte Cristo in space. Uh, Don't touch rainbows. Or anything bright. It looks like you've got something in your eye. Deep in the Weebs is a show by Chuck, Nick, Joe, and Bob. Our theme music is Kawaii Friends by C. Cotty 3 You can find our show on YouTube or subscribe to the audio-only version on iTunes or wherever podcasts are served.
Okay, but also real quick, I forgot to mention it at the time. Uh, when Sue was like, hey, uh, close your eyes, and then I'll help you close your second eyelid. Did anybody else feel like that was leading up to her just gouging his eyes out? I, I, I don't know about that specifically. I'm like, oh, that was when the bad things happened. 